So I'm going to invite Dave up as we kick off this series. I just know uh, this is one of my favorite series because it does just that. One, I believe it's biblical. I believe God wants us to go out and share our stories of how he's working in our lives because it's a great encouragement and it does open our eyes to how he's working in our lives as well. So I'm encouraged. I I agree, Jeff. It's probably our most popular series and our most questioned series at the same time. People still will email or call and go, now why are we doing this? And um, we're doing it because Jesus Christ is risen and his spirit still changes lives today just like in the New Testament. So we can open the New Testament and we can see Jesus changing lives by his spirit. And we look around our church body and our church family and we say, hey, he changes lives and Jason's one of those lives he changed. Um, so I want to remind you of that. I want to also talk to you about two people who grow while we do the series. One is Jason. When Jason comes and he verbalizes before a crowd of people his journey, he grows. And two, those of us who are listening for the spirit to teach us, we grow. So, Jason, I'm going to ask you to come up here. Uh, Jason Hadaman uh, is someone who has not gone through our leadership program. Uh, uh, a lot of times these folks are, uh, have written a narrative in leadership class. Jason is not one of those. Jason is a different category of teacher. Uh, this morning, storyteller, maybe not a teacher, a storyteller. And he's one who God has definitely moved in his life. And uh, Jason is from the Grundy campus, and we thought, what better? Because uh, we're going to be raising money for this Grundy campus, and we ought to let you know some of their stories. So Jason is one of the stories. As he reads it, I would ask you to like listen for how God used the arm of a trusted friend to help Jason and his family. You ready for this? Yes, sir. Okay, here we go. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. My name is Jason Hadman. I'm 34 years old. I have a, a wife of nine years and six children. I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I do remember going to church while we lived there, but we didn't stay very long. After that, my life was pretty chaotic. We moved about every year. My dad worked different jobs as we often stayed with friends in different states. In first or second grade, I was in California. Both my parents worked in Livermore. My sister and I would stay with people while they worked. During that time, I had inappropriate contact with two women, and my trouble began from there. I got the wrong idea of how a good relationship with a woman was supposed to be. That happened for about six months, then we moved to Waterloo. Before the year was over, my dad wanted to get his job back in California, and he left. He was supposed to come get us when he got settled. I remember living with all of our boxes packed for a while, waiting for my dad. One day, my mom called my sister and I into the living room and told us, I finally got a hold of your dad, and he has something to tell you. My dad told me over the phone that he had moved in with another woman and didn't want to be married with my mom anymore. I felt abandoned and alone. My mom, sister, and I moved back to California, about 45 minutes from where my dad was. My mom went back to her old job there. I did see my dad every few weeks. I started third grade in a new California school. That year, I started smoking cigarettes and marijuana. By the end of the school year, we moved back to Iowa. I was enrolled at a different at a different Waterloo school than before. I had started hanging out with the wrong people, 
while still in elementary school, I got into uh, trouble with the law for the first time. I beat, it. I beat up an older kid pretty bad. They said they were going to charge me with a felony. Because of this, I went back to California to live with my dad. I started hanging out with older skater kids. Began using several other types of drugs. I got really heavy into methamphetamine and started skipping school. I started, I started to get really good at skateboarding, even doing some competitions. I had a few stores willing to sponsor me, give me clothes, shoes, and skateboards. I was considered a semi-professional, but my addiction to meth took control. My dad was working full-time, and I and couldn't really control me. He had his own addictions as well. By junior high, we were using meth together, and I had all but quit skateboarding. I was also having inappropriate relationships with many different women. At that time, I started experimenting with Wicca, a form of witchcraft. I did some really wicked things and heard and saw some unexplainable things. My developing brain was experiencing psychosis, and I had my first real experience with the devil. I felt like I, car- like, like I just carried around an evil presence. At the age of 16, I got into trouble again. I had started to manufacture meth. Things got pretty hot, so I had to go live with my mom in Iowa. In Iowa, I quit school and was hanging out with completely adults, uh, in completely adult circles. I was one of the primary meth providers in the area. I had plenty of money and women. When I turned 18, my dad showed back up in Iowa. I moved back and forth between my mom and dad's homes. I taught my dad how to cook meth. After about six months, the cops arrested me, my dad, and my uncle. When the cops knocked on my door, my dad told me to lay down on the couch and act like I was sleeping. He told me, you don't know anything. They took me down to the police department. My dad and uncle took the blame and went to jail. I got off, even though I was really more responsible than they were. Three weeks later, the cops figured everything out that I had been doing and charged me with 12 felonies. I was looking at 120 years in prison. A week before I was arrested, my girlfriend gave birth to my son. I spent 13 months in Blackhawk County Jail fighting my case. That is the first time I truly felt alone. My body was trying to recover from all the things that I had been doing to it. When I sobered up, I was really hungry. While I was in there, they gave me a bologna sandwich, an apple and a cookie three times a day. Yes, the same thing for lunch, breakfast, and dinner. I was hungry all the time. I ate paper, toothpaste, anything that would fill my stomach. It took all the fight out of me. With a plea bargain, I was given 15 years in the Fort Dodge Correctional Facility. My dad was given 25 years, and my uncle was given 10 years. I still looked like I was 15. I didn't even have a beard when I went in there. My celly taught me how to shave my face. I got there in 1999. The prison opened in 1998 and took all the gang members, violent, violent murderers, and criminals with long sentences. Let's just say I was greeted by the devil when I got there. People I hadn't seen in years met me at the door. I got into trouble for fighting, extortion, and other, and, and other things really often. I had a few people that I talked to that were called Bible thumpers. I liked them, but I wasn't sure whether they were, they were real or just prison saved, meaning they would likely go back to their old ways as soon as they got out. I also got permission to correspond with my dad. 
In every letter he wrote me, he talked about the importance of me knowing how much God loved me. I hung out with a few of the Bible thumpers sometimes and even went to some Bible studies. However, I never really felt anything or any sense of peace at that time. I did five years. I got out for a month, got high, and went back for almost a year. Upon my release, I was sent, sent to a halfway house and paroled to my Aunt Elizabeth's house. I went to her house because I had nowhere else that was stable to go. The day I got to my aunt's house, I got connected with my old connections and started dealing again. I had very little contact with my son. While dealing, I met Christina. I was immediately taken by her. We got to know each other, and pretty soon, we got pretty serious. She was a bartender at the Half Pint Saloon and had two little girls. Soon after, I failed a drug test, went back, went back to a six-month treatment facility. I wasn't even really a Christian then, but it was there that I really started praying to God. Not that it was the right way to pray, but I started trying to make deals with God. I really wanted to stay with Christina, and relationships don't really last long in prison. Shortly after, shortly after our first daughter was born, I was released, and we both stayed clean for a while. But we both struggled really bad with sobriety. When Christina was pregnant with our second child, I was sent back to a halfway house. I decided to escape from the facility and, Chris, and, and ask Christina to marry me. I can still see it today. I got to the house and saw her sleeping on the couch with our new baby. I woke her up and asked her to go to Vegas and marry me. My aunt came along. My, my aunt and my mom came along as witnesses. Her mom watched our children. I was driving back from Vegas and got stopped doing 74 in a 70 mile per hour zone. They figured out real quick that I was an escapee. I went back to prison and did 22 months. For the first year, Christina visited and brought our kids really often, but then she stopped. For about six months, I didn't hear anything. Then I got a letter from DHS saying that my kids had been removed from their home. That was one of the hardest days of my life. <clears throat> I hit my knees and really started to ask God for help. I went to every service and Bible study I could. I started reading the Bible on my own and changed who I hung out with. After several months, I was finally able to talk to Christina for the first time in a family team meeting. I had just a few months left on my sentence, and Christina acknowledged she needed help. I had been writing her regularly about God and what I thought we needed to do to change our lives. Pastor Bob Ford helped her get out of that environment. He sent her to the Midwest Missionary Bible Training Center for three months. We wrote each other every day, sometimes more than once a day. When we got out, a friend of mine helped me get a job at Modern Builders. We had our third daughter, and we started attending Heartland Vineyard Church. But it was pretty hard to get used to only getting paid $10 an hour. I started selling marijuana and meth again. We both hit a quick downward spiral. We quit going to church and continued to use. 
We were on the verge of getting evicted and decided to move to Holland, just north of Grundy Center. Christina and I really tried to get cleaned up. It took us a year, but we got our kids back. Holland helped us stay away from the crowd of people we used to hang out with. Since I didn't have a license, I started riding my daughter's bike down a nearby trail. Hey, just so everybody's clear on that, I wasn't uh, rocking the straw- strawberry shortcake special with the basket on the trail. It was, it, it, it was a diamond back. I started riding my, my daughter's bike down the nearby trail. Each time I went by, I saw this great big house with, with barns and lots of horses. I always wondered what it would be like to live with horses and peace. Every time I went by this home, the entire place just, se- just seemed to be filled with peace. Once when I was walking down the trail, I saw a horse giving birth. When I, when I got towards the house, I saw two women talking by the driveway. I told them the horse had just had a baby. They didn't seem to really believe me, but we all went out back and saw the new foal. A few days later, I saw one of the women again and asked about the foal and maybe maybe the possibility of boarding a horse at her house. In the next few days, my mom and I met her whole family, Mark and Shonda Kuyper. They let me lease one of their horses at at a greatly reduced price in exchange. My mom and I would train it. After a few weeks, they invited me to church. But I didn't think much of it. Christina, Christina and I had felt pretty judged by Christians in the past. In the time I started attending men's group, I felt accepted there. And then started going to church myself. No one else in the family was really ready to go to church at that time. A few months later, Mark had an extra ticket to a Jesus Culture Conference in Chicago. Mark had already bought the tickets and he had, had, had some friends that had backed out. So he told me that I could go for free. I went with him for three days and felt the presence of God like I never had before. I couldn't believe that God, God's presence could feel as strong as any drug I had ever used. It felt like a new addiction. The holy presence of God had given me peace that goes beyond what I could ever explain. When I got back, I talked Christine talked Christina into going to church with me. She had become with become friends with Shonda, and she finally agreed to go. The first day she attended, she got really excited about church. She had really been hurt by others in the past, but we felt welcome there. Even after being clean over a year, I got involved in something and started using meth for a few months. I stayed with friends in Waterloo, and I quit going to church. I did try to quit using, and in that process, I fell asleep and I crashed my car. I got clean, but I was faced with legal charges, and with my past record, I was looking at close to life in prison this time. I thought about running away or trying to escape with my family to avoid going to jail. One night, Mark came to talk to me. He kept telling me, there's no shame, there's no condemnation. I could choose to run and stay in the darkness, or I could stand and do what was right. <clears throat> I realized that the I realized that the addictions I had were taking all the good things away that Christina and I had started to work for. I also realized that I had to start trusting in God because doing things on my own was not working. I stayed clean and started being completely honest with everyone. 
I also decided to forgive my father for abandoning me and my family. There's no reasonable explanation why I'm not in jail. While I was going through the court hearings, the men's group at church really supported me. Many of them came to, came to my court hearings. I can't tell you what it meant to have such good people standing by me when I needed, when I didn't even deserve it. <clears throat> I never had friends that would do things like that before. Several people from church gave written testimonies to support me. My parole officer saw the change also and testified for me. Even though he wasn't a Christian, he testified that he believed God had changed my life. I was given a very long probation period but did not go back to jail. During the five years I've been in Holland, there have been many struggles. When we first got our kids back, they were really struggling in school. I could see the way several families in town looked at us and how they wouldn't let our kids play at their houses. When I used again for those three months, I felt horrible because my kids were being judged and ridiculed for what I had done. They're good kids. They're making good choices, and I needed to be a better father for them. <clears throat> it's hard to explain how big of a pull there is to go back to the money and the status instead of just being a guy struggling to get by. I left the only lifestyle I knew. The physical addiction to the point of feeling sick, tired, and run down really wears you down. Drugs have changed my brain permanently, and there are mental, physical challenges that, challenges that I now deal with because of the poor choices that I made. <clears throat> when we moved to Holland, we were on several state assistance programs, but the last few years we have, we have moved to com be completely self-supporting, including limited insurance. About a year ago, Christina fainted, and the doctor thought that she had a, a blood clot in her brain. Because I had a job, she couldn't get state assistance to get an MRI. We were told we needed $5,000 in cash before they would do the MRI. We didn't have it, and for weeks we tried to figure out what to do while worrying that she might really be sick. DHS told her that if I left her, she would get assistance. I really struggled with this. I thought about moving out of the house and wanted to just lie to DHS. But instead, we, we decided to trust God and stay honest. <clears throat> Only through God's grace, we found the way to get the MRI done and found out that it wasn't a serious medical issue. I've been going through a three-year apprenticeship program to become a journeyman iron worker for Local 89. For the last few years, I didn't have a driver's license, so my mom... Uh, has been driving me to Waterloo at four in the morning. Then Tom, a Christian friend and co-worker, drives me to Iowa City for a job that starts at 7 a.m. Then I get home about 6 p.m. each day. In addition to raising our five daughters, my wife works more than, more than one job. The last year, she started working as a parent partner, an advocate for children who are going through the, uh, Department Human Services System. In the middle of trying to get off state assistance, Christina and I made the choice to start tithing. 
There's no reasonable explanation. But God has provided for us in more ways than I could ever explain. We are completely off any type of state assistance program. I was recently fast-tracked to a better position at work. We have better insurance, and I have a driver's license for the first time in 15 years. I now have a good relationship with my son. He attends church with us almost every Sunday. My daughters, two from Christina's prior relationship and three additional girls, are now doing very well in school, getting almost all A's and B's. They have a sense of security now that they didn't have before. We now have that peace I saw at the Kuiper's home, in our own home. Each Sunday, we invite several families and friends to our home church for, for our, to our home and our church for a Sunday dinner. My wife and all my children, my mom, my sister, my nephew, and several other families and friends now, tip, now typically fill up the front two to three rows at the Grundy Center Theater. We're hoping to fill them all. I was baptized last summer, and recently several of my family members and friends have also been baptized. I tried every, tri- I tried every tri- kind of treatment program inside and out of, out of prison. Nothing worked for me until I put God first. But a few, a few years ago when I was clean but was facing the chance of going back to prison, I read a verse in men's group, Galatians 5, Galatians 5, uh, chapter 1, or chapter 5, verse 1, sorry. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It just perfectly described where I was in my life. I see my entire life before Christ was just really a prison. I was letting the pull for drugs and money control every part of my life. It led to a life that was as ugly as anyone can imagine. However, I can tell you that the God I know can change anyone. The freedom that comes with knowing you are a child of God is more powerful than anything this earth has to offer. If you are in a place where you're feeling controlled by anything other than God's love, Today is a day you can change your life for the better. There's no shame, there's no condemnation, but a calling to bring the power of God's love into your life. Thank you. can be seated. We, uh, we send teams to third world countries and we're amazed when a witch doctor gives their heart to Jesus and Amen. burns a- everything evil in their place. Amen. And we need to know right here in North America, there are stories of God at work just as powerfully as those witch doctor stories. And God has been at work in Jason. And I love the thing about your story, Jason, where like you take two steps forward and then you have a little relapse. I mean, you don't love that, but it's so real. No, that's part of recovery. That's part of recovery. And uh, the thing you landed on is Christ's freedom. So we're going to pray for you in just a minute. And uh, we're going to pray for everyone in the room also who was touched by this and who's feeling controlled by something. And uh, Jason, we as a congregation, they stand and cheer you. 
because they want to encourage you to keep taking the next step with Christina, with your five daughters and your son. Let's pray. Dear God, the power of a testimony, the power of a life redeemed from drugs and prison and lostness is a power that only you can do. And what Jason said at the end of his story, that his life was a prison and now he's found freedom. Thank you for that. Thank you for the freedom he's found. Thank you for the steps forward they've made. Thank you for the grace that's in Jesus. Please. Uh, thank you so much. And Father, anyone in the room who was touched by this story, could you work in their life? Could that same power, the power of the resurrection of Jesus that was operating in the life of Jason, could that same power be operating in our lives too? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jason.